Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Logan Strauber. Logan is a specialist support officer at First Steps ED, where he provides integrative psychotherapy. Logan joins us today to discuss eating disorder behaviours which are normalised in society, particularly rumination around calorie counting in which Logan has personal experience. Hello Logan. Hi Hannah, thank you for having me today. No, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I'm busy as always. It's always nice to be able to a carve out a piece of time to do sort of important work about spreading you know, information around like rumination, calorie counting, those kind of things. So, you yeah, know, again, thank you. It was really nice to have you actually because um, I've done quite a lot of podcasts with First Steps team, um, but I've not done one for a while. So it's nice to have you guys back. Yeah, no, I, I understand as well that like, you do some of the finding piece of food mm-hmm. First Steps as well. Yeah, so I paused that for a little bit um, just because I kind of had to focus on different things. Um, but yeah, they will be restarting. So uh... your name around it. <laughs> I'll be back. I'll be back. My like everybody will know. My, I think everybody knows my name, but nobody actually knows mm. who I am. So <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I think. Often, like on the podcast, we can be very specific about like eating disorders and don't kind of recognize that a lot of the behaviors, if you look at them like independently, can be something that, you know, you could experience, but not necessarily have an eating disorder. So I'm quite interested to talk to you about like your experience and and also like the research that you've been looking at. So I guess to start with, do you want to sort of explain like what we mean by like rumination around calorie counting? Yeah, so like obviously there's like the rumination eating disorder and this is not that. This is the rumination of like the act of overthinking, so like, you know, anxiety that is more pronounced. Um there's sort of general two sort of theories around rumination. There's like a response style theory rumination where something happens and the response to that sort of negative stimuli being rumination. So let's say in, in regards to like um, eating disorders, that might be um, a binge. So if you have a binge, then you ruminate around the binge about, you know, maybe weight gain, a lack of control, a lack of self-discipline, and all those things like that. And then the other one is goal process theory. That's where you have a goal in mind. So that might be um, a desire for thinness. So that might look like restriction or calorie counting. So you might then think about, you know, how long can I go about eating or, you know, being really meticulous in your calorie counting app. So that active overthinking there can then be that sort of like style of rumination. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was such a nice switch. So it's almost like you do an action and then you kind of think about it loads and then that kind of impacts your following actions. Is that kind of it? Yeah, again, depending on which kind of style it mm-hmm. falls into. Like metacognition plays quite a big part in rumination and metacognition is like simply put like the idea of thinking about one's own thoughts. Okay. So like if you're thinking, you know, you should be able to go until six o'clock without eating or you should be able to stop binging eating. Like a really good example would be, um, you know, I would be a lot happier if I could stop thinking about food. Hmm. So like that idea of like you're thinking about your thoughts and if, if it's in response to something, so again, that could be like in a response to like a bad body image thought, that'll be the response that I want. And a goal one would be like, if you perceive happiness as being like as thin as possible, that could be that goal. So like, mm. you know, you'd be so much happier to start thinking about thoughts. So like trying to deconstruct that, especially in like a therapeutic context to understand where that thought's coming from, what's it trying to achieve? Is it reactionary? Is it goal focused? Can then help deconstruct it and like reframe it in like a healthier sort of mindset. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. And also I, I giggled there a little bit when you said I would be so much happier if I didn't, th- if I wasn't thinking about food, because mm. so much of the time, I think we, well, in my personal experience anyway, whenever I've almost tried to carry out a behavior, you know, such as calorie counting or restriction or whatever, because I'm trying to achieve that goal, it just makes me think about food all of the time. Um, mm. Like, it's interesting how you, aiming to stop thinking about food but actually all you can then think about is food and there's quite a common like pitfall to that as well like the idea of like feeling in control by ruminating so like if you tend to just think like if i can think about this enough i can then mediate the outcome so like Mm -hmm. if you 
I think like what I eat in a day videos are a really good example of this. So like if you can watch eating videos, then you don't have to think about your own eating, that kind of thing. So you control the content that you're watching. So you then ruminate about the food, but you're not doing the food behaviors. That's so interesting. Again, not to just be like my personal experience, but when I was really poorly, I used to watch uh, Man versus Food all the time because it was somebody mm. eating so much food and it made me feel like, well, I don't need to eat. Um, but I guess talking of like what I can eat in a day videos, because I know that was something that we wanted to talk about. Mm. Kind of, Do you think there are any benefits to them or do you think it's all negative? Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think, especially like being on Instagram and seeing like recovery accounts or ED positive content, it can be really useful to see someone who has gone through like, you know, really bouts of restriction or like a really fears of food and knowing that they, you know, they're trying a chocolate chip muffin. Like that could then, you could look at that. I think that could be me too one day, but then, you know, like there some of the videos are very like, they are opened up to comments about, you know, your own relationship with food, which are, you know, never helpful. They could set unrealistic expectations, especially, especially if it's in like a diet culture kind of way. Like, you know, if someone's doing like a gym type or diet content type talk, and seeing like, you know, for breakfast, I only had a slice of egg and a poached slice of egg, a slice of toast, <laughs> like, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you think, well, I had two slices of toast and two eggs. That makes me greedy. That makes me, and it's mm-hmm. really then difficult isn't it, to then navigate the risks of what I eat in a video there and the pros. It's a, it's a blurred line, I would say. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting one because I think, you know, for somebody that's maybe struggling with an eating disorder, like you said, it can almost be inspirational, but I think equal. I think the like comparison element of it just completely outweighs, you know, mm. any sort of like inspiration that could be there. But I did actually, um, a, a, it was quite a few months ago now, but I put out a poll like, you know, do you like what I can eat in a day videos or not? And it was interesting the response I got from people who like didn't have an eating disorder because they found that they were actually really helpful in kind of ideas of food so like recipes and stuff like that um Mm. and then also somebody else who she's an athlete and she said the reason that she puts like what i can eat in a day videos on is because she wants to inspire other athletes because a lot of the time athletes aren't eating enough um Mm. so i thought that was really interesting in that actually it's not almost like negative for everybody but i think a lot of the videos that you do see the what i can eat in the day videos are very restrictive like i watch them sometimes and i'm like i'm sorry what you had Mm. like you only had three meals and one of them was a salad with like some almonds (laughs) on top of it um Mm. and then that is when i think that comparison drive comes in and I think as well, like the content that you tend to see, like the ones with loads of likes tend to be like really unrealistic as well. Mm. Because like if someone was to post like a realistic, this is what I eat in a day, it's not getting the likes because it's not like, quote, interesting enough to like pop off on social media. Yeah. So the ones that you see, like you said, they are either very restrictive or really niche, like a supreme athlete. Mm. And then you compare yourself with like what this athlete eats. You're like, oh my God, she's having like a hundred grams of protein a day. Oh my God, he's lifting so heavy. And then you're sort of then introspecting seeing all that video seeing how you compare and like you said for the eating disorder community i think it does it does do a lot of harm yeah and also just one thing that popped into my head is often the what i can eat in a day videos like you said they're very um like not realistic but they're also really like curated they always have like really nice backgrounds or like really posh mm. bowls and spoons and i think it's also very like expensive food um you know like things that a lot of people might struggle to eat and I think that can have negative effects as well because if you are trying to eat healthily but maybe you can't afford to go to like an organic green grocers every day um you know you think if you have to go for maybe things that cost less but you're still trying to be healthy you could think oh well I must be just really unhealthy because I can't afford like an organic Mm. parsnip or whatever and it can also lead to like that self-sabotage mentality as well. Like, mm. well, if I can't eat that because I can't afford it, I'll just stick to what I've been doing yeah. because that's all I know. And like, while that might not be an unhealthy thing that they're doing, like the expectation of not being able to eat that way leads to that maybe self-sabotage. Not all the time, obviously, depending yeah. on the individual. But I think I've heard that a lot as well. Like people see that comparison, realize that they can't obtain that and then just revert, revert back to the behavior that makes them feel safe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. So and I guess another thing to sort of talk about in terms of 
you know, ruminating over food and having those obsessive thoughts is, um, and I guess this kind of links to social media, um, is using apps and mm. kind of tracking what you're eating on apps and stuff like that. And I really want this to be like a, a well-rounded thing. So I do think that they sometimes have positives, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, but maybe we'll start with, you know, from the research that you've done and your personal experience, what have you found to be like, I guess, you know, maybe talk about your personal experience first of what you found with that. Yeah. So for me personally, I'm, at the start of the podcast, you mentioned about like how you can have behaviours and not being eaten. So I think I mm-hmm. fall perfectly into that category. Like what I did was disordered, but it never warranted like a diagnosis or even treatment for that matter. Not to say that what I experienced wouldn't need treatment with someone else, just as a little disclaimer, everyone's very different. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I experienced was I was going on holiday. I was aware of that. So I started counting calories, going to the gym more to feel more confident, to lose a little bit of weight. And it was fine initially, like the calorie counting, I felt very in control. I was feeling really healthy as well. Like I was eating a good balance of food. It wasn't extremely restrictive. I think I was still eating something like, oh, I don't remember the exact calorie number. I'm just going to admit that information. Um, it felt really good. But then I came back off holiday and then as soon as I wasn't doing it, it was like a, a bit of like dread and almost like feeling out of control and not really knowing where to go next. So then the calorie counting came back in and like going to the gym again. I, I I used to get like shin splints because I was running so often that I would run through like the shin splints as well. And which is not great. We don't love that behavior, but then like that wasn't enough for me to think, Oh, this is a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. What happened for me was there was a bit where I was putting in my calories for the day and I was going out for a couple of drinks with some friends and I was to see how many drinks I could have. And I could have two double Jet Daniels and Diet Coke. And I went to see if I could have a third when I went up to the bar and I couldn't have it. Like my calories, like everything had gone red. And I remember just sort of standing there thinking, well, what, exactly am I doing and what is this achieving I'm not happy with it anymore it's not serving the same purpose it was I'm not trying to lose weight to get healthy or to feel confident none of this is for health this is becoming a bit of an issue unfortunately for me I was able to do that for myself and then stop and it's something that hasn't returned so for me my experience of calorie counting was like you said the holistic view it started in a healthy way it helped me achieve a goal I felt great on holiday I looked lovely and uh, you know I, I look better now I think but um <laughs> But, you know, it really did allow me to understand exercise and nutrition better. But then for me, that just got a little too much. Yeah. I guess I kind of want to ask you a bit more about, like, that blurred line between when it's kind of okay and then when it became not okay. Like, would you say that it's it's when it starts to, like, impact? Because I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, if – if somebody did want to start calorie counting and um, kind of eating a bit healthier for their overall health, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes people would be like, well, you know, I've got this sort of target that I want to reach and that's going to help me with my overall health. So then if you do tip over a little bit of that target, would you say that the negative thing is when you don't let yourself or when like I'm trying to just kind of, I know it's a really blurred line, um, but it's just kind of hard to determine when it's becoming negative rather than having a positive effect. Yeah. I think one of the biggest indicators is how meticulously you're counting calories or you're weighing food. So like if you're weighing everything very meticulously, like to the gram. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like let's say a tin of tuna, like it tells you roughly how much weight is that in that tin of tuna. If you weigh it and it's like four grams less, do you do the four grams less to save on calories in quotes and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So like, to what point, how meticulous is it being? How in control do you need to be? And like you said there perfectly as well, like if you do then start to see the reds you've tipped over, do you need to compensate the next day? Does that, mm. does that feel like a big need? Like, do you feel bad when it goes over? Does that make you sort of question your self-worth? Mm. Those kind of things. And like you said, it's a very blurred line. I think it is different for everyone, but having an understanding there of how is that making you question yourself and what behaviours is that leading to? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think another thing that kind of popped into my head when we were just testing in as well, because I know this is something that I struggled with, was sort of, you know, tracking calories and stuff like that. And I I knew that there was sort of an issue with it when somebody else made me food because I mm. I could only provide like a rough estimate to myself of what it was and they could have put something else in that I didn't know about. And I think, you know, that sort of thing when you're like, okay, I can't eat that because I don't know exactly what's in it. Um, and I found that I would, and this, this is another thing that's kind of, I guess, 
not focused on health, but it's more focused on calorie counting, is I would be much more comfortable with eating processed foods that had the calories on the packet because I felt more comfortable with, okay, that's, you know, more reliable than me putting it in myself. But actually Mm. eating the processed foods all of the time, you know, obviously in, in, you know, having them occasionally is fine. That was probably like less healthy for me, but it was the constant kind of need to count calories. I was like, that's what I have to do because that feels safer. Mm-hmm. Very similarly as well, like for myself, not like processed food and like unprocessed food, but like certain like fast food chains, like the really big ones were in my calorie counting app, be like McDonald's or KFC. So that if there was like a local restaurant, you wouldn't tend to go because you'd be unsure of the calorie mm-hmm. content. So you would have a McDonald's because all the calorie information is there and you might enjoy that restaurant more and it's important to support local business than it is, you know, billion dollar McDonald's. <laughs> Um, but like you said, it's not, it's not like a conscious choice and it? it's not a want to then just have that process or that McDonald's food. Yeah. It's like, cause it feels safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've never really considered that before. So that's, that's quite an interesting thing to think. Um, I want to ask you a question cause I know that this is an excuse that I still use to this day. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I want to ask you what you think about it. So my partner has tried continuously to get me to delete but it's it's a very much a safety net i'm a bit looser with it now but it is a safety Mm -hmm. net and i use the excuse to him i use it so that i know that i'm eating enough Mm -hmm. um what would you think about that oh it's a tricky one isn't it because (laughs) i still have my calorie counting app on my phone i haven't used it for years Mm -hmm. um do you like when you don't use an app so long on the iphone it goes like gray yeah yeah it's like that now, but it's still there and I've still never been able to like delete it. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea of like, you know, having it is like just to make sure I'm eating enough. Like when you say that, is that you being honest with yourself or is that to keep that safety blanket? I mean, it's, yeah, it's a safety blanket. <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it? Like when you sort of think about that as well, like what happens on the day where you don't put it in my fitness path to see if you're in quotes, like eating enough, mm-hmm. like, is that a harder day? Is that a day filled with anxiety and fear? Like where then is the line of like, it is um, a, a mechanism for health to make sure you're eating enough to fuel your body or is it you know a lingering ed thought that tells you you'll feel a little bit better if you put it in that app yeah i think um you know i i wanted to ask it because i feel like a lot of people will say that like i'm you know especially mm-hmm. in recovery i'm using it to make sure that i'm eating enough and i i did because initially i tried to do like intuitive eating and stuff and i found that really hard because you know naturally my metabolism had slowed down a bit so it felt more difficult to eat intuitively mm-hmm. um but i think ultimately you do know when you're hungry and whether you have had enough and, and stuff like that. and it's it's about being able to trust that process of some days you might not eat enough some days you might have more than you normally would but mm-hmm. you know being able to trust that your body knows rather than having to put it into an app um I think is like the overall thing that I am trying to move towards. I think like that's where compassion comes in as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like being with yourself in the days where it feels like too hard to maybe not put it in or like the days where you feel a bit bad for eating, you know, maybe what you think is too much or too little, mm-hmm. like being able to think to yourself, you know, you are still recovering and it's okay that you're not doing it perfectly each and every day. But there's an interesting bit of research. I'm going to mispronounce this word, so please forgive me. It's like Zyg. <laughs> ink effect and it's this idea that we think about unfinished tasks a lot more than we think about finished tasks and if you've got a history of like putting calories in your app you're going to think about it more until you finish the task but at the end of the day when you finish your last bit of food and it all goes into the app then you can think about it less but obviously that's the very like last thing most people do before they sleep so they're thinking about it all day that ruminating on it all day so like if you know breakfast is cornflakes lunch is a ham sandwich dinner is like a lasagna you roughly know the calorie content of that, but you're still thinking about it until it's in the app because then it's not an unfinished task. I think a good thing would be like, if you wanted to move away from it, is choosing one meal to maybe not put in the app mm-hmm. so you can start to experience what that feels like to like leave that task unfinished in a finished way. Because like if you know you're only going to put two meals in, you've technically finished the task, mm-hmm. but then you get to experience that anxiety in a little bit of a safer way. Yeah. So let's say you decide to skip breakfast for the app but you know, you obviously still eat breakfast. It could still be like a safer breakfast that you eat, but you know roughly the content, let's say it's about 300 calories that you have for breakfast. And then you track breakfast, uh, lunch and dinner. You still roughly know, but you still get to experience that anxiety of it not being like completing. Does that make sense? That's a really good idea actually, because I think a lot of the time, 
you know, because we, as like we said, it is a safety blanket. So taking it away mm-hmm. completely can be so overwhelming. But maybe doing, you know, one meal or one snack that you don't put in, and then you know maybe do that for a week, and then don't put two meals in or whatever. You, I guess mm-hmm. through doing that, you then build those coping mechanisms to be able to not put it into the app and then become less and less reliant on it. I really like that idea. Yeah, and starting safe as well, like maybe mm. just starting with something that you know the exact calorie content of, mm-hmm. but just experiencing what it's not like to track it. And like you said, being able to experience that anxiety and maybe then develop new coping mechanisms because you've been developing these coping mechanisms for years if you've been struggling for years. So it's a very easy then for our brains to just do what makes us feel safe or makes us feel happy or alleviates all that stress. Yeah. So then being exposed to it in a new, slightly more controlled way allows you then to create a new pathway in your brain to create a new coping mechanism that you know is a bit less maladaptive or unhealthy however you'd like to sort of phrase it yeah yeah and that's a great idea and i think it's all about the little steps rather than overwhelming yourself and and feeling completely unsafe um do you think there are any positives of kind of tracking oh it's so difficult isn't it like because <laughs> like when you ask that question like i tend to think of like my client stories that i've heard and like a big one is when clients are trying to gain muscle mm-hmm. and uh, what line again is that like a want to genuinely improve health or what line is that being like a body dysmorphic kind of thing where you're unhappy with the body that you sit in but like obviously gaining muscle you kind of have to have a, an awareness of like macros and your proteins to make sure you're hitting certain things to grow muscle which is just a fact and we can't escape that however unpleasant it is but then like is that and then an excuse to then change your body to, to track calories it's so hard and like to give a generalizing answer would be i think inappropriate yeah but um <laughs> i asked so, a horrible um, question <laughs> <laughs> Knowing, knowing yourself and trying to be as honest as you can with yourself as well, not like giving the answer you think the person you're talking to wants to hear or the answer you think you should give. Like just genuinely like, am I trying to go muscle because I hate how small my arms look? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's always a really difficult one. And I have had this conversation with people so, so many times of like, when when is it okay and when is it you know disordered or an eating disorder because you know if i go into my local gym there's a lot of people in there that you know if you were to sit them in a room and try and diagnose them they probably would have an eating disorder you know excessive exercise that sort of thing um especially you know counting macros and and down to you know the tiniest percentage or the tiniest gram but i don't know i always think it's it's how you feel about it which I know sounds really wishy-washy but I think you know if you are doing that and exercise is your priority and and growing muscle is your priority but you're happy with that but genuinely you could sit down and say to yourself I'm happy with the way that I am and the way that my relationship is I feel like that's okay but then if if it is having a negative impact on you and you know like you said you're ruminating over calories and macros and weighing things all the time and it's really getting in the way of life then it's not it's almost like you said it's it's a, a general answer it's just it's not really fair because it's how it's impacting the individual yeah definitely and i think as well like, these behaviors aren't innately bad like you're never wrong for doing mm-hmm. these behaviors it's just the thought process behind them be that any disorder be that control be that depression anxiety it doesn't really matter what it is it's just about you know how that then influences the decision like once let's say if you are like really sort of motivated to build muscle and then that becomes something you can't do should that lead to such an intense emotional reaction mm. you would assume not if it's a healthy behavior if it does you know then you sort of have to maybe question why that is like, why did i respond that way mm. yeah that's a really good point yeah because i always think because i have a friend and he's very into the gym um and in the week he eats very like um, you know, he has the same food basically every day, same breakfast, same lunch, same dinner. And then at the weekends, he kind of lets himself eat whatever. And it's almost, it it, it is a large amount of food that he's eating. Mm. And I always kind of look at that and I think, you know, is that an eating disorder? But he's mm. very happy with how he is. And it's so it's so difficult when I'm sat there with like my like eating disorder brain, like, you know, you're displaying all the signs, but then he can be really flexible so you know if we do go in in the middle of the week out for dinner then he can eat completely fine. like he doesn't even phase him so it's like yeah it's, it's a really difficult one it's so present in society that it's so difficult to 
understand whether like you've got an issue with it or not definitely and i think it's like the language we use around it is such a big thing as well mm. like you know when you describe that then like the idea of like cheat days and stuff as well like mm-hmm. that only feels like you know, restricted binge cycles and whatnot like the idea of like you can let yourself have the weekends to like eat all that food you've restricted over the week and like you said with your gym friend like there's a flexibility in it but like then also like acknowledging our own bias like because we work and talk about eating disorders a fair bit we tend to see it more yeah. and like maybe it's not there maybe it is but then like doing our own little introspection is that like you being overly conscious because you're looking out for it or is that genuinely someone who's struggling who can't terms with it yet again that's a very fine line to tread and a very hard conversation to have with people mm. yeah definitely i mean i've had conversations with people in the past where i've tried to be like this is you know what i do and i'm just kind of trying to like make sure that you're okay and then they get really offended and you're like oh god like oh no let's um let's not go there but you mentioned cheat meals and how do you feel about cheat meals and stuff because it's a very common thing in society you know using the term binging incorrectly and stuff like that do you think it's a positive thing or is it safe um i've never seen it be helpful to use mm-hmm. that kind of language to describe eating and food like because then it it's just black and white then it's good and bad food isn't it like mm-hmm. it's not that like, on some days we're going to need food differently to how we're going to need food on the other days like if you've been more active if you've been thinking a lot you're going to need more food and as well like sometimes we're going to just going to crave more salt more carbs more fiber like just our body's going to tell us what we need and like i think something that we tend to forget about as people that i really like to remind clients of sometimes is like our awareness and understanding of calories is relatively new as like humans but you know we've been fine for hundreds of years mm-hmm. like our body knows what to do so this idea that you know you have to eat in a certain way and you can only have like a cheat day on a saturday mm-hmm. that relationship then you're building with your body starts to become distorted and then your relationship with food becomes distorted because now we're seeing treat day as like a, a like a taboo almost like mm-hmm. it's only okay on saturdays we don't talk about it then we get back on track i own quotes track on monday which is then maybe a more restrictive cycle that's hard to maintain and because it's so restrictive that's why you need the cheat day mm-hmm. because your body crying out for the the things it's not getting do you think it do you think there's a you know do you think it's a sustainable approach that sort of restriction and then kind of you know having it all at the weekend and what have you i would say no <laughs> um i've not met anyone so far that's been able to maintain that be happy and or not have an eating disorder mm-hmm. Like I've never met anyone that's le- lived a restrictive lifestyle, splur- splurged on the weekends and has been fine with it. Mm-hmm. Like it's always led to like, a, like they would cancel social plans like, oh, I can't go out today for the food because, you know, it's not Saturday. Or like if they were to come, they would just have like um, single spirits with like diet mixer, like gin and tonic all the time because it's like one of the lower calorie ends for the alcohol and those kind of things. So I don't think it can exist in a healthy mindset of a balanced food and like a balanced diet and that kind of thing. I guess if somebody's listening and they're thinking, you know, I didn't really think, I don't really think I have an issue, but this is ringing true for me. What, if you were working with them, what would your suggestions be for them to sort of look into their diet a bit more in their relationship with food? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I'm being really mean today. I'm asking you so many harsh questions. <laughs> I think if it was like a counselling session, I would ask them about like maybe a little bit about their childhood and understanding how their relationship with food has changed. But if it's more like generic advice or like just generic talking, mm-hmm. I think it would just be understanding what would change for you if that changed. Like if it was a little bit out of your control, how do you think you would respond? What would be the worst case scenario? Can you see yourself living this way in five years time? Those kind of things mm-hmm. like, are you doing it because it genuinely brings you happiness or are you doing it for a means that is unattainable or a means that is harmful those kind of things yeah yeah really good questions actually i really liked the one about can you see yourself doing this in five years time because i think that's always such a good question when people do kind of start a new you know eating um what's that i don't want to say diet because diet you automatically think but it it is diet isn't it because diet is Mm -hmm. the way that we eat and everything um you know or pattern or whatever if you can't see yourself, you know, even doing that in a month's time. Is that really something that is going to be beneficial for you? Because it, it, you know, if it, you can't see yourself doing it in a month, there's clearly something wrong with the pattern of eating. It's not going to be healthy for you. 
And we've so normalized like crash diets as well, like diets mm. that we know aren't sustainable that just make you lose weight really quickly in order to um, feel better or to go on that holiday or whatnot. So like as a society, I think as well, we've accepted that these aren't sustainable. We know that's not a sustainable business model because it wouldn't still be in business if it worked. Yeah. Like, we just know that. And then, but then questioning ourselves makes it even harder because society doesn't set us up to ask those questions. So then when someone else asks you, it can then lead to like so many thoughts and then that might make you defensive as well because it's like, don't, don't take this away from me. This is the thing I want. This is like, cause you almost feel like you've made that decision, haven't you? Even if it's been like society that's made you feel like you need to lose weight or like to eat better in quotes or healthier. Like that, I think as well, like, especially when someone's unsure if it's an eating disorder, they, they do are typically quite defensive of that comment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's actually really interesting. Um, thinking about like you know the different diet types that make money out of people dieting because actually especially from doing these podcasts I've and maybe it's not like a wider um society thing but I think a lot of people are aware that like diets don't work it's almost like we as a maybe generation coming through are like boycotting diet dieting because our parents did it and we know it doesn't work but it's and I did I, I put a post on Instagram about sneaky behaviors that persist. And I think that is the problem that we have now is everything can be glorified as healthy or as sort of normal living or whatever. You know, it's so normal to really focus on your protein intake or, you know, like we've been talking about, track your calories um, and stuff like that. That sort of thing is so normalized that we've almost boycotted dieting but we're but as a society we're still dieting we're just kind of telling ourselves it's it's not dieting in a way mm, definitely and i think as well like you're seeing that in more aspects of life as well like in supermarkets at the minute mm. they're sort of hiding like the more caloric dense food toward the back of the store because like they're trying to promote people eating like healthier options that you know have been pushed due to like concerns around the nation growing yeah. as a like, as an obese nation those kind of things but like also then the weight stigma around food and then we're assigning that bad and good labels like for instance like sugar with a coke with sugar in it now you can't display it like front like eye level you have to display it somewhere else and then that's only sort of leading to those labels then oh that's the bad coke and mm. this is the good coke. and i know coke's the example among millions but like yeah. that's all that came to mind but like when you see those behaviors now sort of encouraged mm. in like every aspect like dieting supermarket you can't avoid a supermarket you have to go there for food yeah and then now when we're being pushed like this is where all the good things are uh, don't don't go back there like mm. they'll see it, that kind of thing it's then very difficult to to like make yourself go down like the bad aisle mm -hmm. it's so hard though isn't it because like everything to do with food has to be done on sort of a society-based level and mm. for some people you know the education normal coke if you're having like 10 cans of normal coke a day that's not going to be positive towards a healthy life but equally having 10 coke 10 cans of diet coke would not be positive towards a healthy life so i think often it's like the education that's lacking but it's interesting because i was having a conversation with some of my friends the other day and they were talking about um how they thought it would be beneficial for the whole population where um, if if you had private medical care, then you could basically earn points and you could earn points by like going to an exercise class or um, like having a certain meal or something like that, that would be like a health promoting behavior. So I jokingly went, well, I'd have the, I'd be like, at the top of the chart and then i think because they were thinking about it with like eating sort of not in the thought process they were like think about it on for people that maybe don't have the understanding of what like a healthy balanced lifestyle is um so it was really interesting conversation because people seem to think that eating disorders are such a small percentage of people but actually by making it a point system where you can get better healthcare if you exercise and stuff like that that is surely gonna just drive home these behaviors and for people that do get you know obsessive over ritualistic behaviors yeah and then on the flip side as well though like to punish people that might be struggling with like a binge eating disorder mm -hmm. or bulimia 
Yeah, if, good like, point. If, you're, if you get scored down because you've had a binge, that's just shunning these people in society. And like with eating disorders as a whole as well, like we tend to see anorexia as like the nice commonly understood eating disorder. And we tend to like neglect all like the binge eating type ones because they're a bit less understood. So they, I think that would only sort of push that more. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like you might be on the top of the charts and that would be like, oh my God, Hannah's really great. She's going to get really nice free insurance. Mm-hmm. Especially as well, imagine if that affected like your family's insurance as well as a younger person, that burden shift you would feel. Yeah. So that'd be healthy. That's only going to push that. And again, but then on the other side, imagine how much of an outcast you would feel if you were struggling with like a binge eating disorder mm. and then your family premiums rose because, yeah. you know, you were mentally ill. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, maybe you're struggling with depression and you can't get out to do a workout yeah. or your family lifestyle means that you're so busy that you can't exercise. Um, I, I think it was very like, you know, they just set through the comment out there but it was a really interesting conversation I was just there like this is the worst idea please do not go into government (laughs) like this should not happen but I think that's what makes all you know all of the things that we've spoken about today so difficult because whilst for somebody with an eating disorder you know weighing out your food and tracking your calories is probably not something that's great for somebody that doesn't have an understanding of a healthy lifestyle and is trying to improve their overall health i i no i still don't think that those behaviors would help them actually now i'm saying that out loud yeah it's a tricky one isn't it and i think as well that's because like we said as earlier like the sort of guise of our understanding of eating disorders might cloud our judgment as well like we don't see that ever being like a healthy behavior because we've experienced either it ourselves or seeing what it's done to other people and like you wouldn't then say that could work for someone because the risks are just too high. I feel like there's a way of educating somebody though, that maybe is Mm -hmm. struggling with um, understanding what to eat, understanding how to exercise without making them track it. I am not sure how you would do it, but I like the (laughs) idea. But like, I think as well, just like the way in which we're taught nutrition at school, it's very just sort of black isn't it it's just like these are the good foods these are the bad foods trying to eat more of these good foods move more you'll be fine like that's what education was like when i was growing up i'm not, I'm not too old so hopefully not too detached <laughs> from what hopefully it's progressed but you know it wasn't something that was spent more than like three lessons on mm-hmm. so like and I, I always at school growing up i thought pe should have been like encompass more nutrition like mm-hmm. it's lovely Rounders, great but like surely we should be learning what our body needs for fuel and like what our brains need to grow as opposed to like playing rounders netball and basketball every kind of week which is which is fun loved it yeah but like realistically now having that understanding of nutrition would have been more beneficial it's actually really interesting that you bring up schools um because the podcast that will be out the week before yours um is mm-hmm. about um kind of body image concerns and eating difficulties in key stage two children um Mm. and um Florence who we did the podcast with she was basically saying that when you do your PGCE you get one um like lecture kind of thing out on mental health um and there's no like general um curriculum for you know body image eating difficulties mental health that sort of thing it all depends on what the school is providing and she was saying you know she has experience of an eating disorder so they have a i think this is like a a policy across um all schools that you have to have a healthy snack so a lot of teachers a healthy snack is just a piece of fruit whereas she you know is a lot more flexible with you know what she defines as a healthy snack um but I think you're so right in that the education is just not there. And sometimes I do think, you know, the generation before us, it's not their fault in the slightest, but they were raised with, you know, mm-hmm. workout DVDs at home, very restrictive diet, all of that. They were everywhere. So their understanding of healthy eating and stuff like that is probably not the best and they're the ones then teaching their children so everybody's got a different approach to how it is and then if the schools are all doing it differently as well it's kind of just you kind of it's a look-based thing of whether you get somebody that is also being you know really unsure about what a healthy diet is or somebody that's quite on it and can provide good information Mm -hmm. And like you were saying about the generation before us, like I've lost track of how many clients have told me stories of like their mom or dad have started a diet and they've then been made to eat the same foods like age 10, all those kind of things. So like starting the diet like vicariously at such a young age, then again, you're learning those rules. And then if you go to school and you just kind of push the same way, 
where like there's no education around like your meals you're just doing what your parents tell you because like as kids we always assume our parents know everything or at least some at least some stuff yeah. and uh, we just there's no way to go like when I worked in a six one for a little bit in Derbyshire as well, and like the people that would come through with like body image concerns that were just sort of like dismissed because it wasn't like you know your classic sort of like depression or anxiety or stress, it just wasn't understood. Like you said, with only having one module on general mental health, yeah. it's it's bound to be missed. And I do understand. Obviously, there's a lot of teacher training involved. They're not mental health professionals, so there's not a lot of time to spend on mental health. But yeah, it's a it's a cruel system in a way in which there's only. You have to have like the right mental health issue to be noticed. Yeah. I mean, I know that they don't, they're not mental health professionals, but I do think that, you know, as a teacher, you're probably with the student more than the parents are sometimes. Um, mm. So I do think that there should be some sort of education there on like how to manage it. I mean, kind of a random point, but I remember like doing food tech at school and I think food tech would be a great space for nutrition to be brought in. Then I've heard like one of my friends, the first thing he made was a cup of soup. That's mm. not really helping you in life, is it? Yeah. And I remember like you said food tech, my teacher, um, if you're out there, I still don't like you. Um, <laughs> the first thing that we made was just like, um, a cheesecake, but she would body shame people that made like, bad in quotes like bad food so like i remember there was one kid and he said something and she was like maybe that's why you've got like man boobs and we were in like year eight and that kind of like content around that oh there, my like, god that's also then a space where we're trying to teach kids about food mm -hmm. and you're already calling them names because you made a cheesecake like it's i remember that i'll always stay with me wow yeah it's it's i do think it's strange we said this last week as well how um comments from teachers a lot mm. of them, you, like, I can't remember so many things that I said, but a lot of things do stick, um, which is interesting. It's like you said, though, isn't it? Like, these teachers might spend more time with these kids mm -hmm. than their parents. Of course, what they're going to say, you remember, like, even if it's only lighthearted from the teacher or it's not made of any malice, you'll remember that, especially yeah. if your brain's still developing and that, because you're still trying to work out who you are and you respect teachers. Again, you assume mm -hmm. they know what they're talking about. They tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you to not it? Definitely. Um, the last thing that I wanted to kind of talk about, which is something that, because uh, all of these things that we've been speaking about today were shared by listeners as like behaviours that have been completely normalised in society. Um, mm -hmm. And the one that we haven't touched on is replacing natural foods with low sugar, low carb, low fat foods, um, which I think is a very normalised thing. And as a nutritionist, I will often get people to say to me, say to me like oh but i don't understand why that is wrong because they're lower calories um mm. what do you think about replacing those foods again i think it depends like personally for me i don't like the regular mayonnaise i only like the light version <laughs> so that's a substitute made off like taste as opposed to like mm -hmm. a conscious decision of like neutral neutral neut calorie content um, <laughs> but when you think about like if you're swapping like all of your food items out and like maybe if due to like a fear of sugar, that's not going to be picked up on because people might see that as you just being healthy. Mm. And, you know, you've made a conscious decision there. And especially like when you think about, again, with the way supermarkets place food, they tend to be eye level. They tend to be on promotion. Mm. They tend to be more available from my own experience. Anyway, I'm not a supermarket person. I, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> I think it's so expected nowadays as well to make that swap mm -hmm. that if you were not to make the swap, like someone might comment on it. Like if you were to have sugar Coke, someone might go, Oh, sugar Coke. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's so normalized to get the sort of lower sugar, lower carbs. Like carbs has become the enemy. Number yeah. one. Um, I'd say, I'd say it used to be like fat was the enemy, but I think we've moved into a like period where carb is the enemy but protein is like the best thing in the whole entire world um but you know what i always say to people when they say about oh well, i always choose like the low sugar option so much of the nutritional content is removed um mm -hmm. and instead you've got like a bunch of chemicals you know like the example i always like to use is yogurt zero percent fat yogurt has had so much of the goodness taken out of it and you're left and that's really good for your microbiome and then you're left with kind of whatever um and a bunch of chemicals 
but it is like you say it's so difficult to choose the quote-unquote normal option because of the stigma associated with it and i think as well like if you're buying like a dessert option and you're buying it sugar-free like are you buying it because you want to enjoy a nice sweet dessert but then you're sort of forcing yourself to choose something that mm -hmm. isn't as sweet or like artificially sweet and from time to time that might be fine like you can mix it up like no one's saying that that's wrong with mm -hmm. every time you have to have the no sugar option because that's like less sugar quote unquote healthier yeah not letting yourself have that sweet thing that you've been craving like it's still a form of restriction mm, yeah and i mean obviously there are instances where you know things like diabetes and stuff you may have to choose those options and and mm. that is for a health reason but i think if it's for a health reason you know that's completely different to like you said doing it for restriction and i always think as well like when i see people that choose the like like i used to have a colleague and they were obsessed with choosing like the low fat options for things and so there would be less calories but then they'd have like five of them compared to one because they're not satisfied because you know it one tastes gross it doesn't taste you know like having a low sugar like those pieces of cakes that are meant to satisfy you but they're not actually cakes so then you have like five of them and you need about three yeah because they're like the size of <laughs> five pence piece or whatever but yeah no i think i think that is it's really difficult to kind of make those decisions because of what kind of the perceptions are but actually you know being able to make those decisions i think is gonna promote an overall healthier relationship with food in the long term and also just like being able to talk about it like if you are struggling mm. to choose like the full fat or the full sugar option people just tell you that you're being deaf for not being able to choose mm. like you know just choose that eclair choose that yogurt blah yeah. blah like people are not going to give that the attention it deserves because like we mentioned earlier about like, the education around like eating disorders and nutrition like it's just not there so people just tend to overlook it like that comments that your friend made about you know a system where in which we think about like um points and private healthcare they weren't thinking of eating disorders and mm -hmm. they know you and they know your history yeah. of eating disorders you do like even your you were right there and it still wasn't on their mind yeah not say that's a bad thing but like our just awareness of it really prevents people from being able to talk about it and the less you talk about it the more these behaviors can then happen in secret and if these are society accepted behaviors the more easier that secret is to keep yeah and often i find as well um because everybody knows that i am going to ramble on about eating disorders i almost <laughs> even because even though i'm very comfortable out talking about it sometimes i will bite my tongue because i'm like i know that they're expecting me to say oh but what about people with eating disorders um so that can be really frustrating as well because you know it is something that's so important to talk about but equally you know people get sick of you going on about it all the time but i mean and i did get some rolled eyes the other day when i said oh but what about people with eating disorders like, oh come on like it, it's a really important factor because it's not just eating disorders it's disordered eating as well and you know i did a, a workshop the other day um about eating disorder awareness and i'll say at the start oh you know what's your kind of experience or understanding of an eating disorder and so many people are like i've had one my daughter's had one my partner's had one my son's had one and i was really shocked even me like working in eating disorders every day i thought this is really like taken a we're really taking a hit at the minute for the amount of people that experience it. and i'm sure that you get that at first steps as well and, and there are complexities that are coming for at the minute like they're getting more and more severe more and more complex like just listening to people's stories like they are leveling up and i know that's probably the, the, not the right phrasing to use but they are getting more intense and like you said the frequency like we're getting more referrals than than i've ever seen and it's it's tough out there for people to end on a positive note, because <laughs> I always seem to get myself in a, in a rut and I'm like, okay, actually, we need to kind of like make this positive. Um, what do you think we can do in terms of supporting people in society and helping people, you know, feel like they're making the right choice without it becoming obsessive? I think if you're actively struggling, struggling at the minute, remember that burden's not yours to help anyone else. You're doing you at the minute. Remember that you're focusing on you. You're focusing on your own recovery goals. If that's something you're pursuing right now, if you're a little bit further on in your recovery, being that voice for people that don't have that voice yet, or if you're you know, just an advocate in general, being there for those people. So like talking out against it, like if you hear something that, you know, would have upset you in the past or still makes you sort of bite your tongue now, having that voice, even if there's no one else there, next time they might be and also then being mindful of your own language so like 
you know, if you're going around calling something full fat or something, something bad or like those kind of things, just being very conscious of how you move through this world, noting that not everyone is a, as resilient as you or in the same mental space or, you know, doing as like, or as far as, as recovered as much, that kind of thing. And remembering that people are going to make mistakes and when those happen to be compassionate with them and yourself. Yeah. I really like what you said about language and the compassion as well, because I think often, you know, those two come together really nicely. And I definitely have, you know, will admit that I've really got annoyed at people sometimes for what they said, but then I've actually taken a step back and thought, hmm, maybe they're struggling a bit. And that's why they're saying those comments. And for sometimes as well, it's not frustration about the comment necessarily. It's something that's triggered off in you. Mm. It's like if someone makes a comment about like, um, oh, you know, I'll, get, I'll, I'll have that as a treat. That maybe that upsets you because that's how you mm -hmm. used to feel. Yeah. And those kind of things. So also then being compassionate with yourself, it's okay that that made you feel upset. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Logan. It's been lovely to speak to you. Um, I know that you have your Instagram page, which is full of, like information and loads of like really interesting facts so where can people find you if they want to know more about you yeah so the instagram account that you mentioned is ed underscore psychotherapy and it's just a page where i like to try and post like psychoeducational content like my most recent post was like the common myths around eating disorders and like explaining a little bit about the science about why that myth isn't necessarily the case and you know just engage like providing like a safe space for people to engage in recovery whoever they are um, it's nothing too intense and it doesn't replace any sorts of mental health support or any sort of clinical practice, but it can just be a space if you want to learn a little bit more about eating disorders. Yeah. I love the page. I have to say, I think it's awesome. It's so nicely laid out and so easy to read, like really accessible. So you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. That's, that's nice to hear. That's <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, Logan. No, cheers, Hannah. I'm looking forward to listening to it back when it's out. <laughs> If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.